we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Waramai and Wanarua peoples. We acknowledge the Waramai and Wanarua elders, both past and present. on the field for the Newcastle Knights. Darren Tracy's first touch of the footy. Now Andrew John. Strikes a little hole himself. He's close. Right. He reaches out. That's a try to Andrew John. Root streak from the little halfback. And that's a good reward for a great game. It is debut match for the Newcastle Knights in first grade. Andrew John scores the try and that should wrap it up for the night. Coming to you live from Warramai and Wanneroo Lance, the Bay 53 podcast, part of the sport's best friend podcasting network, brought to you by your friends Bredo and the K-Dog. Ladies and gentlemen, the Newcastle Knights have made back-to-back, that's right, back-to-back NRLW Grand Finals. We have made the first Sunday in October decider and we will face off somewhat surprisingly though not unexpectedly against the Gold Coast Titans but it's not all about the ladies today despite the men's season being over the Knights men's team are still that's right still making news uh, for all the right possibly wrong reasons Bretto um I, well, I, you know as usual I don't really know where to start when it comes to the Newcastle Knights um uh, I guess we'll get the speculative stuff out of the way, mate. It's all happening. Daniel Saifidi, all year, it's been looking like he's going to leave. Is he, in fact, finally going to leave? And is he going to be taking Jaden Braley with him? No, I don't think Dan's leaving. I don't think that's uh, true at all. So this is this has been a story that's just been just doing the rounds via Danny Widler all year. It's a story that won't go away, but... Is it a story that in any other sport would have gone away by now, if not for the fact that rugby league continues to find a way to uh, sort of utilise the media as a as a tool of operation as opposed to mere reporting? Like, like this, this, you know, you don't have to put two and two together to unfortunately sort of uh, connect a couple of dots as to where this story is in fact coming from, as far as Dan Sofidi is concerned. Yeah, and I think that's why it's bobbing along. You know, we all know who uh, who was a CEO at the club at the Dan's linked to, and he's links to the media, and he's links particularly to Danny Wider and his organisation. Um, I think that's why it's bobbing along. That club's desperate for middle forwards. They literally have none. You know, they've got Max King and some, you know, some guys that are fringe first graders, but, you know, with um, with their main prop retiring, they're, you know, they've, they've essentially got none so I, I can imagine they're desperate for dan and who knows you know they, they might come to the knights with a huge offer the knights can't say no to you know they come to the knights and say you know we'll give a we'll give you you know some cash and these two great players well the knights might say yes but middle forwards are just hen's teeth which is why they decided desperate to get dan Saifidi from us so you and i were sort of um i wouldn't say at odds in um the, in the bay 53 chat today but um we've sort of got a bit of competing theories in this so I, I, I mean i don't know if you and i are competing so much um but i sort of came at it from the angle that i thought um in, like peter parr has enough runs on the board when it comes to recruitment now where you sort of think instead of asking well is it true is it not true about dan sofidi you almost he's almost um, given us the right now to look at it as in terms of, okay, well, let's say Dan Saifidi, he was to leave. What do we think the club's going to do with that? Um, but Harvey G sort of taken it from the prospect, and I think this align, aligns more with your thinking, which is that 
Well, there's nothing you really can do with that, which is why it makes more sense that this story is rubbish, because you quite rightly pointed out their middle forwards are, so, are quite rare at the moment. And if you've got a good one, you're actually working harder to hold on to it as opposed to letting it go. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, when we when we paid the the eight hundred we paid for Dan per year, which is the rumor, he was a top five middle forward and and he's you know, and that's gone backwards, you know, maybe top ten now. But I touch still a top ten middle forwards, you know, it's it's still worth, you know. I think I think if we were re signing Dan today, we would probably pay him seven hundred to seven fifty. So you know, so we haven't paid all that much overs. And I think if he went onto the open market, he'd probably get nine hundred, you know. Um so I, I don't, as you said, I, I completely trust Peter Parr. So if we were to release Dan, there's a plan there. You know, there's obviously, yeah. you know, there's something there. But I just, I I can't see it with Dan because middle forwards are so rare. And and, game, and not just middle forward, game impacting middle forwards. You know, because whatever, whatever you think of Dan and Jacob this year, like essentially in that run, we worked out how to make those two essentially one great forward for 80 minutes. And it would be Jacob's work rate for the start of the game. It would be Dan's impact in the middle of the game. And then Jacob would work us home, you know, and that, and that works so well. I really can't see why we would break that up after the, you know, the boys have been toiling away in first grade now for what, eight seasons. Um, now I can't see why we break that up, but that also makes me think that maybe the Jalen Braley stuff is true because I could see that because, you know, we now have hooking options. Mate, I want to get to Jane and Braley in just a second. There's one other thing I do want to ask you about the Dan Sofidi thing. And look, this is going to be hard for you, but I, I want you to really try because I, I think you've sort of got that football knowledge and experience where I think this is a fun thought experiment that, that I want to I want to bring you on this journey. Okay, so you're you're Phil, you're Gus Gould. Now stay with me here. Don't don't <laughs> don't hang up yet. <laughs> but um, you're in his position at uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs. Why are you? What what purpose does it serve for you to you know put work this through the media? Like why aren't you just trying to do what you know normal um, uh, football uh, managers and and operation managers CEOs? Why aren't you just doing it through normal channels in terms of you know dealing with agents, um, you know seeing what's out there? Why are you doing this through the media instead? Because it unsettles it unsettles the Knights organization. And not the I think Gus wants to settle the Knights specifically. I think what he wants to do is he wants to get players talking in the organization. And we've we've seen with Adam O'Brien. Adam O'Brien's had to answer questions in the media because players have come to him and said, What's going on, mate? I'm reading the media that you're shopping me. So so of course Gus is gonna do that, because then Gus can then go, and it might even be unsettling Dan. If he can unsettle Jack, like he might think, well, Dan might stay, but maybe I might unsettle Jacob. Because I'm telling you now, the dogs are desperate. Like their middle stocks are so poor, they would pay huge overs for anybody. So all they, all the dogs probably want to do, because the dogs can't approach his manager. They, they can approach Jacob's on November first, but they can't approach approach Dan's for another two years. Mm. So they can't go through those channels. They have to get the manager or the Knights to come to them. So I think that's the idea is that there's maybe the manager um, starting to think, oh, the dogs are interested here. They're going to pay massive overs. I've no doubt I can get 900 out of, out of Canterbury. Oh, I wonder what I wonder what would happen if I just, you know, wandered down there to Belmore and knocked on Gus's door and and asked him, you know, what, what they're going to offer. Because that's the only way they can get to Dan. They can't get to Dan through the proper channels because, yeah, Dan's not, Dan's not available. 
Um, despite it being grand final week and the Knights season, the Knights men's season finishing, you know, over a week ago, we're, we're still sort of, uh, you know, a key part of that new cycle. As you mentioned, though, Jaden Braley uh, has been linked with Shane Flanahan. Again, this is a, a topic of discussion that, um, that there didn't seem to be any universal or accepted uh, point um, when it came to, you know, the, the Bay 53 conciliary, as it were. Uh, and once again, Harvey G's looked at it in terms of um, uh, he actually sees it as a potentially positive move for the Knights to offload Jaden and uh, his salary cap or the salary that he's currently taking up. I, on the other hand, take it from the perspective that, you know, remember earlier in the year when everyone was saying, well, look at how good the Knights are going, we don't need KP. Um, and I was sort of saying, well, no, but imagine how good they might be if you throw KP into the into the mix. Again, we you know, we were so close this year. Um, you just wonder if having a fully fit Jaden Braley this year might have put us over the top and into that top four. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. Jaden Braley at this stage is a far better hooker than Phoenix, not in terms of work rate or effort, but in terms of hooker knowledge, the ability to, to bring you – because that's the thing, a good hooker probably adds – two to three metres every hit-up because mm. they know how to bring a forward onto the ball and into the, and into some space. So you, it's amazing how much a good hooker can get. And then once you get that 20 metres zone, which we're good at scoring the 20 metres zone, that's not an issue. But that ability to just get those easy tries. Now, there's easy little one-off-the-ruck tries where everyone goes, oh, that was soft. But it's not necessarily soft. It's generally good dummy half play where they find, you know, a guy that's not quite on side or they find, you know, a little bit of a, a smaller guy and a big guy. That's good hooker play. And, and Phoenix isn't there yet. He will, he'll get there because he's, you know, he seems a very quick learner and he's certainly a student of the game. He'll get there, but he's not there. So I, I completely agree. This year, if we had Braz all year, we'd probably go further. But the, the just just looking talk about heading in forward. So, so what happens again next year? Braz goes down again. That'll be three out of four years. We've had six hundred something thousand dollars out of our salary cap, which is obviously tight sitting on the bench. The Knights, the Knights need that $600,000. If they're not going to get $600,000 on the paddock, they will want that as available to do those Bradman best upgrades and those sorts of things. So that was actually going to be my next question to you. If the Knights can find some positive... So let's say Jaden Braley does come to them. He says, look, I've been, I've been offered extra years, more guarantee. Um, for this stage of my career, um, if that's something you can't match, I, I, I'd like to go to join Shane down at the Dragons. You're saying that the, the positive that the Knights can take for that is that, well, look, we've got Phoenix on an upward trajectory where we think we can we can come in with that sort of um, uh, we can you know cover that with with what Phoenix offers, um, and then use that money to upgrade players to to keep the rest of the squad together. Or are you saying we we should be looking at other ho- hooking options as well? No, I don't. I don't. I will say we. I don't think we'll ever go to Jaden and say you're right to look elsewhere. I think Jaden would have to come to the Knights for starters. Um, but I know I think that we would then internally go. Well, Phoenix will get his upgrade that he that he deserves. So Phoenix is not much on more than minimum now. So Phoenix might get you know double, which is still you know would still put him at half of what Jaden gets paid. Mm-hmm. And and then you then you've got uh, Riley Jones who is your, probably your third string hooker. So you've got them. And I would then be looking at new Brown. Do you want to stay for another couple of years new? And he'll then become your Phoenix Crossland. 
I guess the key for me in all of this is, you know, whether Dan Sofidi stays, goes, you know, whether we release Jaden Braley or whether we look to push because just quickly on Jaden Braley as well is that the big positive to come out of his injury this year is that whatever Jaden ends up doing next year, the the added bonus for this side is that um, even Jaden's role within the team next year. You know, it gives him the opportunity to reduce his workload, but maybe make him more effective while he's out there. So he doesn't have to be that yeah, eighty-minute absolutely. workman. He could be that fifty, forty to fifty to sixty-minute, you know, imp- uh, you know, really high-impact hooker. And Phoenix can come on as well. And instead of him being an eighty-minute, you know what I mean? Like they can yeah, be absolutely. that tandem action that uh, Crossland and Man were, but not as effectively. Absolutely, I completely agree with you. My, but the Knights have to have some concern about a guy that's had two ACLs and Achilles in, in four years in terms of his lateral movement defending in the middle. Bra- Braley's number one thing he gives to this team was stability and defence in the middle. And if his lateral movement is affected, which I would imagine two ACLs and an Achilles, it would be <laughs> for, for $600,000, mm. you know. There is there is certainly some alarm bells going off. But I, as I said, I don't think the Knights would ever go to Jaden and say, you know, you're free to look because he's really valuable to the team. But I also don't think they'd stand in his way if you know, he had a better offer. I want to go back to Peter Parr and all of this because to date he doesn't really seem to have put a foot wrong when it comes to that um, the way he's handled uh, our roster. But in terms of the increased speculation or increased media speculation that comes with, um, you know, working for the Newcastle Knights, is this a like-for-like like scenario for him in terms of, well, what worked for me at the Cowboys I can I can replicate at the Knights? Am I, am I misreading it or am I perhaps um, uh, patronising the Cowboys a little bit that the level of speculation that they might have had to contend with wasn't quite up there in terms of what, what a little old Newcastle Knights has to deal with. Would, would this be new territory to Peter or would he still know what to do? Yeah, dealing with the Sydney media this much would certainly be new for Peter. As much as you now the Sydney media do, you know, they, they, they're happy to get clicks from any team, but it's mainly the Sydney team. It's essentially the Sydney teams and the Broncos. Yep. Is, is where they, you know, where they do their digging. Um, so that's the thing, like the media have sort of moved on to Newcastle because Penrith used to be their go-to. Yeah, Pen- Penrith were the easy one. They, they had so many juniors. They were the easy one to speculate about. But now they're great. You know, they, they can't get those clicks. <laughs> so they've sort of moved on to us. But yeah, certainly, I, I certainly think dealing with the city media at this level, like, yeah, your Buzz, Buzz Rothfield type would be new to, uh, to Peter Parr because the Queensland media, as much as, you know, they, they need the same clicks, they're certainly far more friendly. But I think their audience has a lot more to do with that as well. Absolutely, and we, and absolutely. we see, yeah, and because we see that in state of origin as well. When Queensland lose, it's like, well, we band together now to see what we can do better next time. But when New South Wales lose, it's as Matty John says, we sort of cannibalise ourselves and tear each other apart. And it's a bit the same with, you know, that's that's a rugby league culture thing, you know. And yeah, you know, you know, you know the difference in the origin. I, I, I sort of reckon the difference there is. I reckon origin for New South Wales people is entertainment. Which so we don't mind that tearing each other apart. That's you know it's, it's interesting. <laughs> because the Queenslanders, all they want to do is win. You know, they, they, they would, you... seriously, they would go and get you know seventeen mercenaries if they had to to win. <laughs> and it's so funny as well what you do say about the um, the Panthers because you actually can see the uh, the uh, NRL me- the rugby league media trying it on still with uh, with the Panthers. Yeah. You know, with the whole Jerome Luai is yeah. uh, is a villain thing. And at the end of the day, every time Panthers go out there and win the next week, nobody cares. It's sort of you can call our players whatever you want because when we're winning, 
we don't really care what you say. But you look at the Newcastle last year, all you had to say was, um, oh, KP walked out of the toilets with um, with another player. And, well, well, we're losing as well. And all everybody loses their mind. So um, well, It's funny how quickly that changed, but we started winning, didn't it? Yeah, you know the Bali thing. The Bali stuff would never have happened if we were have if we were if we were this team we are now. If we were that team, yeah, back then that Bali story would be a non-event. Correct. Um, look, I, I don't really think there's too much more that we can sort of say about that. The, the problem is though, well, it's not a problem, but of course, the interesting thing's going to be is that you know the season's not the, the men's season. Well, no, the season the the year is not even yet over. But the speculation's already started. Yeah. Do you think it's going to ramp up this summer, or is this something that we can sort of deal with quick, smart, and just move on? There's, there's always going to be something that's going to come up that's going to be written about. One thing I will say, and I think this is, I think the offseason in terms of the media is going to be the worst we've ever experienced, and it's for one really good reason: we play absolutely duds in the cricket. The cricket season is going to be so boring. Every test match is going to go for two and a half days. They're going to need to fill pages. And they're going to need to get clicks. And mm. I really do think that it's going to be, yeah, unbelievable how much rubbish. Like it's, it's already full of rubbish, but how much rubbish gets click, gets um, done over summer uh, just to try and fill some pages and get some airtime on on pay TV. You are listening to the Bay Fifty Three podcast. Hey, mate, um, let's get to things that are happening on the field. Uh, you know, from a night's perspective, Sunday afternoon, uh, one of the most incredible uh, games and experiences that I've had as a, as a spectator, as a fan, as a Newcastle Knights member at a McDonald Jones Stadium. Uh, the Newcastle Knights uh, NRLW team uh, triumphed over the Brisbane Broncos in the grand final qualifier. Uh, they were, The Knights were bringing in those 2001 vibes with a 30 points to 24 victory. Mate, it's a funny game. Uh, I think after the third try, at no point did I think that we were going to lose that. And yet the game finished five tries apiece. It was the conversions that were the difference. But it was was a game where I simultaneously felt that we were always out of reach, but we were never safe. It it was a remarkable game of football to watch um, for, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, it was one of those weird games where yeah we dominated for the first twenty five, but after that, I think Brisbane were all over us. But every, mm. but but I just had had no doubt that every time we needed to do something, we would. And we That's did every, every every time they got within a try of us, we scored again. And we just we just kept the arms length the whole day. Hey Matt, I want to talk about the crowd before we get on, uh, into the game in depth. Um, I mean, Newcastle really did prove once and for all that we are the rugby league capital of the world. Uh, the, the final crowd figure that was given was 12,000 in attendance. No, just just no, absolutely not in any way, shape or form was it a crowd of less than 15,000. And I guarantee you, because there were people, there were still people lining up through the car parks as the ball was being kicked off. And I reckon they've just reached a stage where they're like, get people in there. And uh, I think they stopped counting. I think they, they, they managed to let 12,500 in. Because what I later found out was that, sorry, yeah, they'd actually op- only opened up a small section of the Western Grandstand gates to let people in. And once that kickoff came, they're like, man, just get everybody in there. It was an amazing crowd, just a great atmosphere on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it's unbelievable how um, how much they underestimated this. I, I was surprised at that sort of stuff that, you know, when I, when I heard those stories that nothing had been opened up in the bars and whatnot, I thought they're really not thought about this at all because no. who, who wouldn't think a Sunday afternoon 
we're going to get at a minimum sort of twelve or thirteen thousand. Like it just, yeah, it made, made no sense. Yeah, but the problem is there. The, the people making those decisions are, are not the Knights. It's the NRL Correct. and yeah. the stadium organisation in Sydney. And they, you know they've still got those Sydney ideas. Well, they only get twelve thousand Origin. What are they going to get? You know. Well, I'll tell you now. If we got Origin, we get thirty thousand. Um, but yeah, no, there's a, there a real Sydney vibe about that stupidity, wasn't there? It well, look. Uh, they now that you say it, that actually does make perfect sense because you you just could tell that the people that were, who were organising it didn't really know Newcastle. Um, I mean, we didn't care. We had a great time in any event. Um, uh, the Western Grandstand was just like it was absolutely packed out, and um, uh, you know the, the crowd over in the the Eastern Grandstand as well. Bless them as they sat in the sun. I will say this though: as soon as that sun does go down uh, on the other side of the of the Western Grandstand, oh boy, it gets cold real quick. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it's actually funny what you say about that that Sydney mentality because yeah, they were probably banking on the Roosters type uh, attendance where they uh, just scraped past three thousand out at Allianz Stadium for their um, their game against the Titans. I actually, hey. spoke, I actually spoke to some of the winners that Roosters game at three thousand, and they said there wasn't even three thousand there. <laughs> You know what they were probably doing? They were probably counting the NRL members in that. Yeah, and most of them were probably up at the Newcastle Knights game. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, I mean, the Knights to me on Sunday afternoon played like a team, like and they played like an experienced team that played with the authority of that knows how to win in the big games. Um, we came out of the blocks, um, you know, all all guns blazing. I, I was actually really impressed with the start because it's probably not something that we've seen from this team that much this season. And um, when Liv Higgins barged over for that um, for that first try, it, it just they just didn't seem to be able to do much wrong. It was it, they really were just playing like a team that sort of uh, came out there with a set plan and executed it um, as perfectly as they possibly could. And it was just great to see them getting the the points on the board, the reward for all of the work that they were doing. Yeah, it was. A, I was actually just saying to someone the other day. I reckon that first twenty minutes was exactly how this team was designed. This mm. team was designed around the big girls rolling through the middle and just flattening the opposition, and then having those three or four guns to put the points on the board. And that's exactly what happened for twenty minutes. Hannah Southwell got her first. I didn't realize. I mean, I. Sorry, I did realise at the time. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's her first try at the NRLW. And when you say that and you think of the decorated career that she's had and the way that she plays and the position that she's in, it sort of seems almost nonsensical that, you know, in her fifth season of uh, it's a bit NRL... Like Patrick, it's a bit like Patrick Carrigan getting as far as he without us going to try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was probably the try of the game for me. When you think about the way, um, you oh, know, I think I think I'll try the season. Yeah, it was just um, you know the Newcastle Knights uh, did a, a video of it on the socials uh, and just that slow mo where you can see, you know, the Caitlin Johnson offload, the um, Tamika run and and uh, fend off, and then the way Hannah just takes that ball and charges for the line. Um, yeah, it really was. It, it's rugby. It, it's pure rugby league at its finest. Like it's just exciting rugby league to watch. Anyone that tries to tell you the girls aren't either tough or skillful, just need to look at that because mm. that was, 
you know, the big palm off, the two offloads, had a break in tackles. Even the tackle, even the tackle on Meeks was a great tackle when they they eventually got her. You know, it was a really good tackle to stop her scoring. And then she gets the offload. Yeah, it was all that rugby league needs to be. Um, so they did something we've rarely done this season, which was score up the middle. Because yeah. a lot of most of our tries have been scored out on the edges. And the reason that that's important is one, we sort of we were fairly confident that we'd win the battle in the middle. But two, the the, the tries being scored near the post meant meant that you were almost guaranteed uh, six point tries as opposed to the four point tries, which ultimately made the difference. Um, so there was there was there was this great reward that was coming out of it. But it's funny, you know, because I was saying to Joe Frost as he was as well, we were at the game. I was like. Um, you know, Brett will kill me for saying this, but even though we're 18 nil up, I still feel like we need a fourth. We just need, I was saying it, we need another settler because, <laughs> you know, I've I, I got to tell you, mate, um, when you consider what this Broncos team has been through, and look, I, I'm not going to make too much of a habit of this. I, I really don't like talking up too much that's associated with the Brisbane Broncos. You know, fuck them. You, you get everything going your way, you know, to begin with. But can I say about this women's teams that I've seen some great, Brisbane Broncos teams over the last 30 years. But to when you think about, you know, um, this team sort of has had to drag itself out of a out of a dynasty, as it were, in those foundation years, you know, put that team back together and, and just what they've been through this year with what's happened uh, internally with, uh, with, you know, with, with some of their players, like they had every reason to give up on Sunday, every reason. You're 18 nil down, you're away from home, um, and they fought so hard, like so hard to get back into that game to the extent that, yeah, with with two minutes to go, they were still in it. And I just thought, you know, full credit to these women. They, they did that club. They did this game proud given, you know, the, um, um, you know everything, just everything when you consider it within the context of this season. Uh, I thought it was an, a remarkable performance by Brisbane on Sunday. Yeah, they they play like their captain, the goat, Ali Brigginshaw. That you know, I I, I kind of liken that team to you know to the glory to the to the early two thousands Knights team. You know, where there was skill over the park, but they only ever went as far as Joey could take them, and that's mm. that Broncos team. Ali Brigginshaw will take them as far as she needs to, yeah. and it, it, and I actually think that they rolled us. They they win this weekend. I think the winner of that game was always going to be the favourites going into this weekend. Um. It's funny what you say about Ali. I mean, even the flick pass she puts on for the final try of the game, like that's a that's a try that you know, only the greats, only future immortals are able to pull up pull off. Like at that stage of the game, at this stage of the season, with everything that's on the line, um, but she played the she played the sort of game um, that was in front of her uh, to perfection. I, I agree with you. I I, I think she's the she truly is the the, the the greatest women's player that um, that we've seen, and um, I just can't wait for her to retire already because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting a bit over her um, sort of doing that that over us all the time. Mate, I want to talk about another big, big, big impact player in Mele Hufanga. I thought we did the best that we could to contain her as much as we could, and yet I still felt that she had an incredible impact on the game. I still felt, like you said, she picked her moments to get involved, and there was one run she made towards the end of the game where she, I think she fended off about half of our team, and you could see those runs were starting to take their toll on us physically when it was coming down to the, to the final stages of the match. 
Yeah, I see a lot of Broncos fans especially say, you know, why don't we go to Melee more? And I think it's because that because she because she's coming from rugby, I don't think she has that rugby league base fitness. So mm-hmm. I think that she only can be an impact player. I think, you know, if you tried to get her going from minute one, by half time she'd be sh- a shot duck. So the Broncos essentially let her power up. You know, she'll have a she'll have a great run, she'll palm off ten, and then she'll do nothing for ten minutes, and then she'll go again. And and they picked the right time. The moment we started to tire, she she got involved. And you're right, she just sapped the last bit of energy we had out of, out of our girls. And that's when I started to worry. I thought, oh, this could she could do something here that we literally can't stop. You know, it's just cheat code sort of stuff. And that's that's the only concern I had. It really was our forwards who ultimately did the job for us. Shout out to Preds because Preds took a one-on-one there, like that big run you're talking yeah. about. She, she palmed off 10 of them and Preds knocked her down one-on-one and stopped <laughs> the run. Like, I know Preds has got a bit of size on her side, but Mullet's is quick. So she has power and size. And yeah, credit to Preds, she knocked her over. The stats probably don't do Preds much, um, much justice. She ran for about 49 metres. Um, she finished the game with, I think, oh, no, no, she did, yeah, 14 tackles. So the stats probably don't sort of paint a picture about the impact that she had. But, again, this is why I think stats tell a story, not all of the story, because you're right. Like some of those runs that she made at important stages at the end, you know, some of those those important tackles that – that she sort of made particular. I know exactly the one you're talking about there, but it really was our forwards in the end. You know, for me, it was um, Hannah Southwell, again, a rock in defence. Lation Albert Jones, who... I think she was player of the match, personally, Lation. Yeah, well, for me, it's it's probably a uh, toss-up between Lation and uh, Caitlin. Caitlin, again, gave you 100-plus metres. She gave you the 20-plus tackles. And she's just playing with that attitude and aggression that just screams to me, Chief. Like, she really has taken it upon herself to lead this team. Um, I think she's taken it upon herself as well to lead this team in that the the physical presence that Hannah is still lacking as she comes back from um, injury. Because Hannah doesn't run the ball as much anymore. And she hits so hard in her tackles, but she's probably not like, you know, she's still making the, the you know, the same number of tackles that a lot of the other forwards are doing. So for me, um, uh, Caitlin was probably just ahead for that player of the match. But yeah, I thought Leishon had an incredible game again. Yeah. The thing about Leishon is that she, to, to me, she's the point of difference. She, she's, the, she's the girl that has just the, untapped skill in, in the forward pack because Kayla can throw the offload, you know, she do all the great things, but Leishon is just that bit of different gravy if it makes sense, you know. She can, she can just do a few things that most most players in general can't do, but certainly most women players can't do. She has you know, mm. great footwork for a girl her size. She has a great offload. You know, she can throw a 30-meter cutout pass. We've seen last week that she's playing some <laughs> halfback. She's got a good kicking game. You know, and you can tell she's the she's the uh, niece of Stacey Jones because she, you know, <laughs> she, she's got those she's got those good halfback genes in her. But mm. um, no, she she's just she, yeah, she's that real point of difference, Leishon, and I really enjoy watching her play. Mate, we, and we've still gone all this way talking about our forwards, and yet the uh, the unheralded, uh, unheralded, underrated Yasmin Clydesdale. Again, she's reaching a stage where her her the floor for what she provides is so high that you sort of I don't want us to take for granted what she does for this team. Uh, another hundred run meters again, uh, twenty nine tackles in defence, 
And and let me tell you, man, some of those tackles hit hard. Like you could see, you can actually see at points in the game that the Broncos were trying to target. Um, I don't know why, but they were trying to target Yasmin at times, and nothing was getting past her. I was saying to Joe at one point, I was like, "Look, man, if you're going to run at the Queen, you better make sure you hit hit the target because she just wasn't going anywhere." And um, yeah, she's just put in another sort of epic performance. That, like I said, doesn't get. She's treading that line, but it's not being overlooked, but we're sort of starting to reach that stage where that high output has become so expected now. We're bordering into the territory where she starts to become unappreciated. She's this time Steve Simpson. Yeah, that, now, that's exactly she's, right. She's a test player that just, just just does everything, but she doesn't do anything flash, so people don't notice her. You know, she's not busting open, you know, 80-metre uh, runs, and, you know, she's not a high try scorer of an edge forward, and she's not you know, producing magic offloads. But she does all the things you wanted to do. She makes a lot of tackles. She does a lot of hard runs. She, you know, she's got a good set of hands for you know a catch and pass if there's numbers available. She'll take the chance if she gets a chance to score a try. Yeah, she's she's absolutely this team. Steve Simpson. Do you want to talk about uh, Caitlin Johnson's try uh, a little bit because it, Caitlin really is. I mean, every time she plays now, she sort of throws something out of the back. Uh, uh, she takes something out of her latest we- weapon, uh, sorry, arsenal of weapons. You just think to yourself, who are you? Like, I just don't know what to expect from you anymore. Because, the, I mean, for starters, the grubber by Tamika was perfect. But the chase and the put down by Caitlin, like that's the sort of stuff you expect from your outside backs, not from your front row forward who's cart- carting the ball up all day. And um, she's just playing with this energy and this uh, go forward at the moment that is just driving this. I I firmly believe it's just driving this team to, um, you know, another crack at another uh, premiership. Yeah, she, she's the energizer bunny in the middle of the field for this team. She mm. she, she drives the line speedy defense, you know, her, her and Hannah, but obviously Hannah not quite as much because of her still struggling with that leg. But she drives the line speed. You know, she lifts the tempo and attack with a big charge. You're right. She chases kicks. It's not the first time she scored this year off a, off a grubber. Um, yeah, she she's just so impressive because she does it all and still plays high high minutes. You know, it's not like she does it in five-minute bursts, ten-minute bursts. You know, she plays big minutes for for a middle forward, um, you know, in hot conditions. And, you know, it's it, 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 never, it never makes me um, – I'm never worried when, when CJ's on the field. I know yeah. that if we need something, she'll produce it. And whether that's in attack or defense, she'll just produce something for us. But yeah, that um that chase and put down were, were fantastic. And she's remarkably quick for a girl who has size over 10 meters. Mm. She's really, really quick for over 10 meters. And obviously that, that's known in the in the club because quite often that grubber kick is designed specifically for her. She's almost like the forwards version of Tamika Upton for exactly the reason you just said there. Whenever she's on the field, you know that she's going to produce something. Um, we went into the break sort of. So uh, the Broncos got the try just before halftime to sort of bring them into the game, 18 to 4 at halftime. Mate, I'll be honest with you. The reason I was nervous, the only, sorry, the only reason I had any nerves at halftime was because I did know that this team, unfortunately, doesn't play for 70 minutes. So my concern was whether or not we had done enough in the first half with the good half that we produced to back up, you know, maybe that drop off in standard in the second half. Now, I don't think we actually dropped off necessarily, because, again, I don't want to take away from the Broncos. I thought they played exceptionally well in the second half. 
I thought defensively we were exposed, unfortunately, in, you know, some of our goal line defence, you know, some of those close um, range tries that the Broncos scored, I think will disappoint Ron. I also thought Jesse Southwell got exposed a little bit out on the edge defensively, like they were running around her with ease. But having said all of that about our defence, I thought the two tries that we scored in the second half were real. Like, I mean, first of all, Tamika, again, star. But the last try that we scored through Tiana Davison, I thought that was a combination of, you know, we put on a really good set and a great kick to force the error from the Broncos. And then we took advantage of that field um, position when we were finally down there because we were, we were hardly in attacking position in the second half. And what this team showed me in the second half is that they do have that grit and determination to, okay, hold on in defence with, with a good attacking team, but also take their opportunities when they present. And that's why I always had that level of comfort for me, once Tamika scored in the second half, you sort of felt that that was the that was the Tamana Tahu try in the two thousand and one Grand Final. You were just like, look, I think I think that's just yeah, it's just put us out of reach, and we should be okay from here. We our game plan is very similar to Penrith and the men. We we line our energy in defence and then take our chances when we get them. So the difference is Penrith, when they get in, down attacking in, they'll just strangle you. you know? they'll, they'll take five sets, maybe, but they'll score, whereas we can do it in one. Yes. Um, that's that's kind of the difference there. But we have the same idea, that we'll, that we'll happily sit back and absorb your pressure, but you give us an inch and we'll take it. And then that's exactly you know, how it panned out. Brisbane had dominated field position against us. Didn't matter because every time we got a chance, we scored. And that'll be the same this Sunday. The Titans are very similar to us. They're a defensive team that take advantage when they get their chance. Because we'll, we'll get to them and say, because in a lot of ways, I probably want to talk about the second game a little bit more than I do ours. But just quickly in the post match, you know, wrap, uh, wrap up uh, on the field, I mean, it's unavoidable. The, the Johns brothers are indelibly linked to everything that is involved in the Newcastle Knights, and particularly given that they're prominent media figures. I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. So it was always going to be, a, you know, just a straight-up comparison, particularly when the younger sister was going to be a halfback, that the yep. narrative around the Southwell sisters was going to be, well, you're the John's version of the for the of the Knights for the NRLW, which I think is a which which I think is a label that the girls have actually embraced. Um, not to the extent where, you know, Hannah wears it as a badge of honour, but I think she's taken it on board and gone, well, it is what it is and I'm going to make the best of it that I can. I think Jessie's definitely, you know, played it up a lot more than um, than Hannah is, so much to the extent that I think the interview that she gave to the to the club socials after the game, where she was sort of ribbing her sister a bit about getting her first try, but I thought it was just a, such a poetic sort of little moment post-game where there was that cheekiness about Jessie that never overshone the fact that she was just so proud of her sister and being there for, that, uh, for scoring that try. But I just thought that that, unfortunately, more than anything else, sort of captured, yeah, the Southwell girls really are the, the Johns brothers, for better or worse, and you've got that cheeky younger halfback who sort of gives it to her older sibling and, um, you know, make of it what you will. I think fans are really enjoying it and embracing it. And uh, for me personally, I thought it, I just thought it was really fun to see. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of Joey in, um, in Jess. <laughs> yes, you know, she, she knows. She knows the one with all the talent. But... She knows her older sibling is the one that works the hardest, you know, exactly how the John boys were. Joey knew that he was a talented one. He also knew that Maddie worked his ass off to get where he was. 
you know, I, I sort of, I, I definitely see that in the girls. The the kind of the difference is that I suppose Hannah is also an elite player. Matthew played for Australia, but no one would consider him an elite player. Whereas Hannah is, you know, he's a genuinely elite player. Um, but yeah, no, Jesse certainly loves. She, she may never admit it, but I really do think she loves being, you know, the new Joey. I think she, oh, she absolutely does love it. And she, I, I think she's absolutely got the talent to back it up. But what I thought you were going to say there was, um, I think she absolutely loves and adores and worships her sister. Oh, the, there is no doubt. There is there is no doubt. The fact that when Hannah scored, she was right there to celebrate first. Yeah, so that's where I was going. Jumping jumping up and down. was That was great. And I, I guarantee you that picture will be in their parents' bloody house forever. I just love the game. But more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of Rugby League or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. Unique, affordable and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's Tees. Hey, mate, so, I mean, let's talk about the second game because in a lot of ways there's probably more to come out of the Roosters-Titans game for a variety of reasons uh, than comes out of the Knights Knights victory. And we can talk a little bit about the Roosters-Titans game as well because it obviously does have, you know, the Titans will be playing um, against us on Sunday. I should have this in front of me, but I don't. I mean, we go into that game as favourites on Sunday, yeah, yeah. So we're we're. I mean, we're marginal favourites, dollar fifty to two dollars sixty. I think that's probably just about right. Although I think you know that's probably. I, I think I still think the Titans could be a lot shorter than that. I, I really. I, I think these two teams are quite evenly matched, as we sort of saw from the um, from the game earlier this year. But mate, let, let's talk about their win over the Roosters. I mean, um, where did that come from? 12 points to nil, the best attacking team in the comp didn't fire a single shot. And not only did they not fire a single shot, but they conceded two tries themselves. This is a Titans team that can grind out a win. But to grind it out the way they did against the Roosters, I mean, what happened on Sunday? Where did this come from? And... um, how did they turn around the earlier loss this year, a significant loss this year up on the Gold Coast, into a 12 points to nil, to nil win in the in the biggest game of the season so far? Well, I don't think it was a surprise. You know, obviously the Roosters were, were solid favourites and deserve it to say, but I think most of us, you know, thought the Titans were a shot because for two reasons, you know, they're red hot and mm. they're probably the hottest team in the, comp in the last sort of couple of weeks, but also because they're tough. We know that once it comes to semifinals, the Roosters are. Now, people will get upset at me saying that, but they're just not. The moment the, the, they get punched in the mouth, the Roosters, they will. It happened mm. last year. It happened again this year. It happened against us when we beat them. It happened down in Canberra. You know, Canberra beat, beat them, you know, on talent that game. The Roosters should have won by 50. Mm. But they, that, I don't know what it is. I, and I thought Millie would change that mentality. I thought Millie going there would be, but honestly, I think Hannah leaving was the problem. Since, since Hannah's left, they have become as soft as butter. Yeah. Um, yeah, they know that that Roosters team, they have no bottle, mate. The moment they get punched in the mouth, they just will. And it's amazing because they've got so many jewelries and we and you know, in origin players, and we see in origin, you know, that they don't do it in origin, they don't wilt in origin, but for some there's something in that mentality. And, and honestly, I think we've seen it in the press conference why they're like that. 
I want to talk a bit about uh, Millie Boyle as well, because it, when you looked at her on the field, like you could see her grimacing in pain every time uh, something came into contact with that shoulder. And yet she's finished the game top tackler for the Roosters, top meter getter for the Roosters. I mean, that just shouldn't be happening. You know what I mean? And I think back to, like, your Cooper Cronk in the in the uh, 2018 grand final, or you think back to Shane Webke back in the 2000 grand final. Like, those play, those great players who carry significant injury, arm injuries going into those games, they're there for that, you know, the, um, the leadership that they can provide and the impact that they can give, but not that workmanlike performance over the duration of the game where they're the, where they're the top statistical player in various categories. And I think that says a lot in terms of what you point out about this Roosters team in that they're great when, they go, when things are going their, their way, but they, they just don't get going when the going gets tough, except for Millie Boyle. And this is her first season with the Roosters. Yeah, and a lot of those girls need to hang their heads in shame. The fact that Millie was the only one doing the hard stuff, carrying that significant shoulder injury, was just mm. it was just poor. It was poor by girls that you know that have a really high standard. They, as I said, you know, they're origin, they're test players. They're they're not mentally weak. Then you know you don't get to that level if you're not mentally tough. But for some reason, there's some there's something rotten in that club. Um, yeah, we might talk about it later. But yeah, no, it's, I think it's obvious what it is. Well, no, let's let, let, let's talk about it now because really where we're going with this um, is, I mean, the post, you and I have always said the post-game press conferences can very rarely be good, but the problem is they can quite often be bad. And I thought the one that um, John Strange and uh, Isabel Kelly had on Sunday was, I, I think it's the worst press conference I've seen this year. It was so devoid of any responsibility or um, just, yeah, it was so devoid of taking responsibility for the results. And it was just throwing blame everywhere you could. And the distraction about talking about the change in the finals format, because objectively, they're absolutely right. A 10-team competition should be having more than two knockout semifinals. But that is not something you say after you've just been knocked out when you fail to take advantage of um, that one shot because now you look like you're just subjectively bitter and you're sort of you're you're muddying the waters of that conversation when the conversation should really be why did you not perform better in a game that, of that importance given the given what you'd shown throughout the rest of the season for the second year in a row. Yeah, for two years running. And I'll, and I'll, I'll just say it, because they're t- the two tough players they had in their team were Yasmin Clydesdale and Hannah Southwell. Both those guys have left, and that team has turned to shit when the pressure's on. I thought it was really disappointing from Isabel. Like, Isabel Kelly just came across as bitter. Like, she just came across as so bitter in everything that she where's, said. Where's I, that sense, sense of entitlement come from, Izzy? Like, she was never like that. Yeah. Is it, is it the Roosters' culture? I don't know. But, yeah, that I've never seen that sense of entitlement in Izzy. It was really, really strange. She just sort of, the attitude that she was portraying, particularly to the extent, and it's funny, you know, because originally when she sort of said, well, I think the Titans will win next week, um, when I first sort of got wind of that, I thought, oh, well, she's taking a bit of a slide at the um, at the Knights there. But it's funny, you know, when she, when you go back and you watch it and the way she says it, I actually think she's saying that, like, she just feels like, well, I'm saying this out of obligation because they've just beaten us, so well, they're going to go and win next week. But 
I actually thought she was in her brain. She was like, "This team's not winning next week," and I'm even more annoyed about the loss now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even the way she sort of tried. The one positive thing she tried to say in that press conference was she was basically, "Look, credit to our opponent. I think they'll win next week." She couldn't even pull that off, and it, 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 yeah, I was just I was just startled as I was listening to her speak. And then yeah, when they raised the whole finals thing, I'm like. Everybody knew you knew you knew at the beginning of the season what you were getting into and why top two. Was they so they even rested players coming into the finals. Yes, yeah, that's the thing. They were they were the most prepared for that situation. They had a top two spot wrapped up weeks ago and were resting players coming into the finals. Like they, the the advantage out of the four teams alive was to them. Like I just. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, as well the the injuries excuse that they sort that they sort of started to pull. It's like they think that the the night suffered. We suffered injuries too. Like our forward, Pat, Rima Butler was a a last sort of minute inclusion, given the fact that she'd missed a fair amount of the season, and we'd had to positionally change Caitlin Johnson. You know, somewhat fortuitously, ultimately, but be that as it may, we had to change her role from that uh, edge forward that we'd had her peg to throw her back into the middle. Yeah, we, because we, we were we running lo- out of middle forwards. We lost our edge with, to an ACL before the season even started. We lost our workhorse prop that was going to, you know, so we could move Caitlin Capani, I think, in week two or week three. Mm. Um, yeah, so we we lost two important cogs. We've just battled our way through the season. Have, and because we haven't had the top two spot wrapped up, because we haven't had that great forward against the Roosters have got, we've had to keep going going hard the whole season. But we knew that it was do or die. Like, mm. I don't – and as I said, it's so weird because I've never seen that in Izzy. She, you know, she's – I've seen it at many press conferences over for, for the NRLW and for the Gillaroos and for the, uh, for the Blues. I've never seen that. I don't know. It was just disappointment and she was a bit, you know – Every, everyone gets a bit, you know, a bit sort of um, numb in the numb in the mind when the, you know, when the disappointment hits them. But it just, I don't know. It, it was that, and it was the injuries, and then it was, um, yeah. To me, it really felt to me like they didn't respect their opponent, and then they were just stunned their opponent could beat them. Mm. It was it was a bizarre game to watch. If only, I guess I maintain if only because. As we sit here, I still can't believe the Roosters didn't get a single, like not one point for the whole game. One one team dominated and didn't score a point. That's the thing. The Roosters, if you watch that game without looking at the score, you would think the Roosters were going to win that game the whole way through. Yeah. But the Titans had two really solid chances and went bang, bang. Game over. It was, was you're right, it was an odd game because a team with a talent the Roosters had got to not score was really impressive from the Titans, really impressive. Um, I'll pull you up on one thing in terms of you do look at the stats. The way the game ultimately finished, the Titans really did hold the ball quite well. They ended up having, I think, about um, 10 extra sets uh, over the um, over Because the I think that was late in the game. I think, honestly, yeah, yeah. I think 10 minutes in the second half, the Roosters gave up. Yeah. And that's, that's a harsh thing to say, but they legit gave up. And it's funny that no, but it's true, and it's funny what you said that you say that because the, the, the game ceiling try, and even at the time it didn't feel like it was ceiling, but the game ceiling try wasn't scored until the sixty third minute. So until the sixty second minute, the score was six nil, and all the roosters they just need one try. They just so, needed, and that's so, why I'm shocked. They're, by so, the game. they're so used to rolling, but it was the same against when they played us. You know that first half was we were just in front, they scored, but the mm. moment we got it, got it. With us only that second half, mm. they were they weren't interested, mate. I do apologise. 
I do apologize about one correction. Sorry, it was it was eight nil until the second the sixty second yeah. minute because um, uh, the Titans got the penalty in the forty fifth minute. Yeah, but still eight nil six nil. When if you're a team that's finished top two that knows how to score points, surely oh, you're times this year they've scored four tries in ten minutes. Exactly. No, that's exactly right, and that's why even up until that that um, try was scored in the sixty third minute. I was just sitting there shocked, going, "I don't understand how the Roosters uh, haven't scored a try," and they had so, and they had so many opportunities in that first half, and they just, I don't know, it was in a lot of ways like they sort of got up there and thought, "Oh, well, the job's done." Before the job was even done, you know it, what I mean. It was the old "we'll do what we always do and we'll score," and then when that didn't work, they went, "We'll keep doing that," and then it didn't work again. I went, "Well, that we're out of ideas." <laughs> what really felt like it just as we've I said, tried like nothing. That, We've tried nothing new and we're all out of ideas. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because that's the thing, they, they win on talent. To me, they're a poorly coached team. They win on talent. Um, uh, look, uh, we, we've probably done the, the Titans a little bit of a disservice by sort of uh, highlighting in the main um, how poor the Roosters were. I, the Titans were magnificent. I thought yeah, both Queensland yeah. teams really handled... Uh, Sunday, you know, fantastically, given that they were the two teams that had to travel. And, you know, what we know about the women's game is that it's still semi-professional as much as the season has lengthened and and uh, the uh, financial remuneration has improved. You know, it's still only three months out of their year. So they were the two teams that had to travel. I thought Ivania Polite was out of this world on Sunday. And, um, um, you know, she put in that big game fullback performance that you sort of come to uh, expect from from those types of players, but again, it was the support that they got from their forwards. I think the I think they finished up with about fifteen hundred meters all run for the game, which is just an extraordinary effort for a team away from home in this sort of in that environment in this competition. Yeah, yeah. The um, the Titans and the and, and remember we played them. But I said to you, oh, if we score sixteen points, he will win. Mm. Their game plan to start the year was. Keep the Australian to sixteen. We'll score sixteen and win. That was that was the, been their game plan all year. But in the last two or three weeks, their attack started to click. Mm. So so now that, that you know they, they they not only hold you to a low score, they they have points in them, which I think has then given the defence even more confidence to the point where that was about the all round performance of any team this year. I think uh, by them on uh, Sunday. Really? Yeah, because they because their attack was wasn't outstanding, but mm. it was it was semi final football. It was control the ball, roll through the middle, you know, and then take your chances. And their defense was just out of this world good. Georgia Hale, fifty seven tackles. And on she, she's a, she's a, she's amazing. Like we we all you know Lord Hannah because Hannah smashes people, but yeah. Hannah makes twenty five tackles. Hale makes twice that every week. She's amazing. Yeah. That is, an, a, that is a phenomenal effort. Hey, mate, um, we go into the game on Sunday. As I said, the Knights are uh, favourites. I, I think I want to th- throw a fly in the ointment. Uh, it's a 4pm it's a kickoff. It's going to be fucking hot on Sunday. So I, I was actually having a look at that before we got on air here. They're expecting game time temperature to be 33. Right. So, yeah. I mean, who does that impact more? Do, do we go with the very lazy... Well, the Gold Coast, you know, they're from Queensland. They should be used to the heat. Does it put things back in their favour or is it more a case of 
look, these are these are elite professional athletes. At the end of the day, that's actually not going to – it'll be an even playing field. They're both going to be playing in the same temperatures. Does it actually give us more of an advantage because we've got less travel? You know what I mean? Or does it just yeah. mean nothing? Is it just, both teams are going to be cooked, and whoever's the fittest might just be the one that gets through this game. I, well, I think that in terms of pure temperature, it doesn't help them because I think humidity helps Queensland teams. Yep. Rather than pure heat. But to me, the concern is we've, we've struggled in heat all season. So that poor performance against the Cowboys and the Cowboys lost was a hot, humid day. We were poor. I think we struggled in the heat on the on Sunday. As soon as, you know, sort of we started to get tired, we wilted in the heat. We've done it a couple of other times throughout this year. I, re, I have real concerns about us in the heat. I think that. We need we need to start well. I don't think there's a second half comeback in that game in that heat. I think we mm-hmm. we need to we need to start well. You think the team that takes charge first is the one that holds on for the rest yeah. of the game? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, absolutely. And I think and that's the thing. I think that as against as they get tired in that heat, there'll be a lot of drop ball. Girls going to get tired. The ball will be sweaty and slippery. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of errors. I don't think there's going to be a lot of ball movement. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a real war of attrition, which is exactly how they want to play. So it's going yep. to be, yeah, it's going to be tough. Mate, I think we've named an unchanged lineup from the uh, semi final last Sunday. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's actually, I think it's actually going to be a really great game. We, one thing I will say though is that we won the game, we won last year's um, decider fairly comfortably in the end, but it's easy to forget that it was it was quite a close contest until the last 20 minutes. Do you, this sounds like a really dumb question, but in all honesty, do you think there's any concerns about overconfidence going into this? Just from a case of, you know, when sometimes experience can work against you because when you've been there yeah, and you've done yeah. that, you start to think it's easy. Do you think that'll yep, be something yep. that Ron will be hammering into them this week? Like, this is a new game. This is a new opposition. These are new conditions. You need to be better than you were last year. Yeah, I, I do think Ron will do that. I think that Ron's an outstanding coach and he'll have them ready to go. But they have shown shines, shown, shown signs this year <laughs> where, you know, we've had big leads and, and, and turned it off. Yeah. You know, we have, we have had that ability to zone out of games and, be a bit overconfident. So I, I, I think that um, the girls will be on. I don't think there's any way they've been switched on. But, you know, we have seen that weakness in them this year. And the Titans are the team that will take advantage because they will actually bash you for 70 minutes. That's their game plan. And, if, you know, and if you let them hang around, they will come and get you. Can we talk a little bit about the Daly M Awards for the NRLW season? Um have I mean? How do you how do you say this without saying? Knights fans the whole, can't. The whole, system, the whole system's a joke. Okay, cool. <laughs> because I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the Knights are a top two seat, top two team. Uh, we were we were actually we're still genuinely surprised that Ron managed to jag a. Um, a, uh, a nomination as coach of the year. I there's a little part of me that does wonder if um, if the Roosters had managed to make the grand final, if he in fact would have missed out. Anyway, that's I'm not going to I'm not going to go down that tinfoil hat sort of path. But yeah, have our have our have our ladies been dudded? You know, is a team that's you know on the precipice of going back to back about to be snubbed for you know most individual awards? 
is that a sl- is that a slap in the face to the Newcastle Knights, or is it just, or is it actually more an indication of the fact that you're like, well, that's no, we're okay with that, because if we've got um, a championship winning team across the park where no one stands out, that's the team that we want to create, and we're co- we're fine with that. Okay, we'll go through what the Knights fans are playing about. So the complaint about CJ. Now, there's two things with CJ. She has been suspended for one week. In the minutes, if you suspended for two weeks, you can't win it. So I don't know whether maybe that one week has ruled CJ out. I don't know. But she also played two different positions. So maybe that ruled her out. So I'm, I'm not going to get onto the CJ one. As for Jesse, Knights fans, I don't, I don't think Jesse's been done in. Yeah, so that's what I think. No, I, I think, agree. I think Jesse's been about the fifth or sixth best halfback in the competition. She's been fine. Can, can I start? You were waiting to un- unload that on me during recording. You didn't think yeah. I was going to handle that well at all, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I, I agree with that. I, I think yeah. um, I think at her best, she's better than anyone else. I don't oh, think she's, she's, she's the best. Most, she's the most talented. She's the most talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think she's had a season where she hasn't performed as well as last season, but she's still performed well enough to do the job for this yep. team to show absolutely. us that she's yep. a great halfback. If that makes yep. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, and that sort of, and Hannah has missed a few games, so I can't sort of complain too much about her not getting in the lock nominations. I, I, I do think she was a little bit stiff. To me, the big thing is going to be two things have to happen. Um, Tamika has to be the Dalian winner. Yeah. And Ron has to be coach of the year. Yes. If those two things don't happen, then we can rightly say we've been done it. Yeah. No, I, I, I promise you, I'm in completely in complete agreement with you on that. Um, I think the difference that Tamika makes. I mean, yeah, the best way to say it is that I think if she plays for the Broncos, I actually think they win and they win comfortably on Sunday. Oh, if, and, if she plays for the Broncos, they go undefeated this year. Yeah. And the other thing as well is that I think Sunday's game is ultimately going to be decided between uh, between the two fullbacks, which I'm really happy with because I think we've got the better fullback. It's yeah. like it's like yeah. the reason some people who know rugby league far far better than I did and do twenty years ago for the two thousand and one um, grand final, despite how well Parramatta had gone that season, there were some people I spoke with who knew going into that game that we were going to win, and they said for one reason only because we've got Andrew Johns and yeah. we had the, and that game will be won in the in the halfbacks. We had, we had the best two players on the field in that grand final, and that's why we were never losing that grand final. Correct, Andrew Johns. In the two most in the in the two thousand one season, hook a halfback with the positions by a mile mm. that mattered, and we had the best two in the world, Adam. So, who do you think are the two players that decide it for the Knights on uh, on Sunday? Uh, CJ and Tamika. Correct. Yeah. C- CJ I- needs CJ needs to be able to go toe to toe with Shannon Marto, who's their gun front rower. If we can if we can get you know we can get a, a a wash there, and they sort of cancel each other out, and Tamika does Tamika things, we mm. win the game. Uh, Tamika in the running for uh, oh Jesus I'm I'm really not uh, well but what's the uh, what's the player of the match award is it a Clive Churchill the, medal in the the, the the Karen Murphy medal the co- which yeah. is also the coach of the Titans really yeah that's what I'm, that's what I'm stoked about Karen Murphy we had a beat her that she's going to be giving her medal to Tamika <laughs> I can't wait I can't wait. <laughs> Oh no! See, I'm I'm more happy about um, beating Steph like beating Steph Hancock in a grand final. Oh yeah, that's great. But Steph Hancock's like a fucking idiot. But you know, do not like her at Karen, all. I don't like Karen Murphy at all, and I cannot wait for her to be putting her medal on Tamika Upton while after we just tapped because <laughs> I can't stand her. 
Uh, I love it. I love it. Rugby League, it continues to deliver. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle have won the grand final. Hey, mate, we've been talking for a while. Can we talk a little bit about the men's grand final, though? Because there, there are a couple of points that I actually want to make, uh, at least in respect oh, of... Can I just say one thing before we talk about the men's grand final? Yeah, go for it. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's like let's be honest. Like, they're the top two teams in the comp. You know, in a lot of ways, it's the rightful decider. But it doesn't mean it's the decider that you want. I'm actually slightly down when I think about it on the Raiders, the Knights, and the Warriors that they allowed this to happen. That they allowed the Broncos to make uh, the grand final because there's a lot riding on it this Sunday. Um, and I just personally can't handle the idea of the Broncos winning another grand final, given that they've already got six premierships to their name. But I, I do want to, in all seriousness, I do want to talk about the Brisbane Broncos a little bit, if only because I think that their performance against the Warriors last Saturday, they were clearly the better team, but I think there's a lot of fool's gold about that performance. And I think that result has possibly painted them as a better team than they in fact are. And I think that's actually something that's worked to Penrith's benefit in that as weird as this is going to sound, I think everybody's talking up about how much the Broncos have a chance, which is allowing the, the Panthers to go a little bit under the radar this weekend. And yet they're the ones that are chasing history. They're the ones that are chasing the three-peat. Does that make sense? Yeah. What happens on Sunday will determine which Broncos you get. Now, I think Penrith will win either way. But if you get Pen Brisbane from week one, it'll be a tight game because Brisbane were – they played finals football that night mm. to shut Melbourne out. But if you get Brisbane from last week, Penrith win by 30 because that Brisbane team, the, how loose they played, you're not getting away with that, Penrith. Like, whether I was trying to – you know, the, the no-look passes and the cutouts – Penrith will smash them to smear the rings. They will turn the ball over constantly. Reese Walsh will have 10 turnovers if they play like that against Penrith because Penrith will just shut it down and and, and Brisbane's defence can't handle can't handle pressure. Um, yeah, Brisbane try to play that uh, Harlem Globetrotter Globe stuff. Penrith will win by plenty. So it's funny in a lot of ways when you sort of look at this Broncos team because – um, people sort of tend to over forget the fact that um, they've they've played the majority of their teams at, at games out of Brisbane slash you know they've barely left Queensland and I know I know that everyone says well you know not all of the Sydney teams have to you know, travel you know there's nine teams in Sydney they get to but you compare that to someone like the Knights who have travelled to you know when you travel from Newcastle well that's a long trip up to Townsville that we've had we've had to travel we've had to go and play in Perth this year we've had to go and travel in um, New, we've had to travel to Auckland twice. Just the See, fact that's that we, a, we can't fly straight out of Newcastle to most of those places. Correct. You know, we, have to get, we have to get to Sydney first. <laughs> correct. So this is something that the Broncos haven't had to put up with. And yet, when you look at their record in Brisbane, it's phenomenal. But then you start looking at the results when they've gone away from home. And, you know, you're looking at uh, you're looking at results there where obviously they had that loss to the Storm. Um, they, they just, just got over the line uh, against uh, the Warriors. They had a close win over the Sharks as well. And so... So there, there are there are some performances in there that sort of says, hey, this is a team that doesn't like to that doesn't get the best out of themselves 
when they're forced to leave Brisbane. Now, the other thing as well is that you can point to their one-point win over the Panthers uh, earlier this year and you know, in round one. But the Panthers went up to Brisbane and they ground out a win against the uh, the Broncos 15 points to four. And the only reason I point that is it literally goes back to exactly what you just said, is that everybody thinks that the Broncos are this dynamic... Can I say, the way the Broncos played against the Warriors on Saturday, I actually didn't realise that a rugby league team could play sport the, the game that fast. It, it's one of the most frenetic, fast-paced uh, performances from a team I, I think I've seen. But everyone thinks that that's the Broncos. And for me, I'm like, well, you've got to look at these things in context. Now, remember when we went over to play the Warriors in week two of the finals, we were coming down off a of, off a high emotional game at home where we'd won at the death. We played 10 extra minutes and we'd had to travel. Okay, so now let's look at the Warriors last Saturday night in Brisbane. They were coming down off a, of a high intensity performance at home full of emotion, they've had to travel and they're now playing against a team that's had more rest than them. I just think there are enough similarities between the Broncos win over the Warriors and the Warriors win over us to say, let's all just, let's all just take it easy for a moment and look at the, this team as a whole. They may not necessarily be as good as they showed against the Warriors because if only because, well, the Panthers aren't going to be playing the, the Broncos with the same lead-up as the Warriors did. So I think that just changes the mentality for me a little bit and why it actually now starts to put things rightly back in favour of the Panthers come Sunday night. Yeah, absolutely absolutely agree. Um, Panthers' preparation has been perfect. They've, they've cruised to two wins. Mm. You know, they haven't you know they haven't had to leave Sydney. Great. They got the week off. Perfect. Exactly. The other one. Now, go back to that round one game. Let's not forget two weeks before that, Penrith got beat by St. Helens. Penrith changed their entire approach this season to they wanted to peak in September, October, and that's mm. exactly what they've done. They were not they Brisbane just punched them in the mouth in that first great game because yep. Brisbane wound up and Penrith weren't ready. Penrith weren't, you know, not that they weren't ready. Penrith were just like Penrith were just, we don't care, you know. We'd like to win tonight, but meh, you know, we're gonna finish top two and we're gonna see in, in October. That 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 was Penrith's attitude. Brisbane um are the most talented team in the competition by a long way. They've got, you know, guns all over the park. They play, yeah, with speed that I don't think anyone can match. But they're poorly coached. Their bench rotations are generally pretty poor because Kevzy's an idiot. Um, I don't – and I think that Brisbane is the sort of team that if Penrith punch him in the mouth twice, Brisbane will fall apart. The problem is – and Brisbane are really good at this. They did it at the Warriors. Brisbane are really good at getting you into a game of touch football. Hmm. Brisbane can wear the, wear the the tempo up and suck teams into it. Now, I think Penrith are too smart for that. I think Penrith are too smart to fall into that, but that's Brisbane's chance. Brisbane's chance is to open the game up and turn it into a game of touch. So, and so I was just going to say that the one thing I was actually going to say to that was I actually think that the Bron- I, I only not only do I think that that's the one chance, to, but I think the Broncos only have that window for about 10 to 15 minutes at the start. Yeah. Because one thing we've actually seen about this Panthers team is that See, Panthers play at such a high level all the time. They don't, we've said it, they don't have another level. In a lot of ways, there's that Melbourne mentality. They don't have another level to go at. So if they're playing at that level and they're behind, they don't have another level to go to to sort of try to drag themselves back. 
And so I think if the Broncos are going to win this, they're going to have to come out, blow them off the park early with the game style that they want to play and just see if they can hold on for the rest of the game. But what we've seen from this Penrith team over the last uh, you know, two to three months is that if anything, they're even the best part of the game is that that opening fifteen to twenty minutes when they set the scene and they say this is how the game's going to be, and then they just what you know they wait for their opposition to crumble and then they win by thirty. It's yeah, I I just I just think that the the win by the Broncos over the Warriors paints a picture of a Broncos team that, that I don't think they are yet that team. I think they can be that team. But yeah, I'm, I just don't think the two are as close going into Sunday as um, as, it be, as it's being made out. No, I absolutely agree. Um, Penrith, yeah, Penrith just come out and they strangle you from minute one. Mm. They they physically strangle you. They pin you in your half and they strangle you and they suck all the energy out of you to eventually everyone breaks. And this Brisbane team have shown many times to you, they break. They, they're not there mentally yet. Um, mm. The thing with uh, with Brisbane is... Brisbane will always, because they have points in them, Brisbane will always be confident they can chase points. So I don't think they will panic. I think if they got down early, they wouldn't panic. But I also don't yeah. think Penrith would actually let them back into the game. Yeah. You know, I think that their their ability... To, and this is not the, our referee refereeing poorly, but Penrith actually control the referee in terms of... They control how the referee sees the game. So Penrith will slow the ruck speed down in the game and they'll, you know, they'll slow the tempo down and they'll walk the scrubs and they'll just slow the game down, just, you know, and the referee will allow it because that's just how the game is being played. And they'll do it for a minute one. Yeah. Which is whereas if you deliberately start to slow the game down, the referee goes, hang on a sec, this game is now considerably slower than it was 10 minutes ago, you know. There's some penalties here, I might need to find them. But Penrith actually do that for a minute one. And they just, mm. the whole game is slow. And then all of a sudden they go, bang, 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 game's over, see you later. And they'll just mm. go, what, what the fuck just happened? You know, we'll read you for 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and, and, and no one actually mentioned the ability to, you know, to, where we used to talk about the Melbourne wrestle. Because Melbourne could, Melbourne would actually rest, get in front and then wrestle. Penrith don't. Penrith could do it for a bit of one. They just slow the whole thing down until they need to up the tempo. And, and they up the tempo when they want to. And that's the difference. And no one else can then match them because... Teams and the Knights are bad for them. The, the, our biggest weakness this year was we couldn't go through gears. You know, we were a million miles yeah. an hour and get great, or we were slow, we were poor. We couldn't do. Penrith have the ability to go up and back through the gears, though. They'll go fast, I'll slow it down. They'll go fast, I'll slow it down. Brisbane are a million miles an hour all the time. And that is okay, but it's hard to maintain. But, but it's actually funny, just quickly, because I'll, I'll finish on this. It's funny what you say about the Knights is that, because you're right, historically the Knights don't do this, and that's certainly what happened through, throughout the season. But what we started to discover about this team during the streak was that they were starting to find those gears. And doing that consistently over uh, a 27-week regular season plus finals, that's the next step for this Newcastle Knights men's team. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's... Next year decides what sort of team we are. You know, are we are are we an up tempo Brisbane team, or are we a grinded out with the ability to score? We want to Penrith style. But I think I think this year we try to be both. I think next year we need to see which one we become. Looking forward to next year already. Let's try and get through this Sunday first. Um, like I said, the the uh, NRLW game is on at uh, three fifty five. Um, men's game kicks off, I think, at seven fifty. But hey, we've overlooked. Uh, the probably the biggest game of Sunday is the uh, the pickers. Are they the, 
No, sorry, the Rabbitohs. Sorry, the um, the uh, what is it? The the state state championship. Yeah, the state championship. That's uh, that's uh, kicking off as well. So uh, big three games this Sunday. Hey, mate, as always, it's always good fun to talk to you uh, about rugby league, particularly the Newcastle Knights. I'm, uh, I'm keen to know how the season's going to um, to end. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy Grand Final Sunday, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Go the Knights. Sports Best Friends would like to thank you for listening right to the end. You are our kind of people. Find other great sports podcasts in our family by subscribing. And remember, social media isn't a bad place. You just need to follow the right people.